<laughs> don't hurt him. Or don't hurt myself. <laughs> welcome back. Welcome back to Two Teachers and a Mic. We are your hosts. I'm Haleem. And I'm Remington. And I may or may not have just been doing the Harlem Shake hey. as, as the intro came on. I'm talking about the OG Harlem exactly, Shake. Exactly. Not that new stuff. Man, not them kids having a seizure. I don't know what yeah, they was doing, boys. You were fucking it up, though. I just want you to I, know. I mean, I, I do. I do be. I do be <laughs> fucking it up. That's all I'm doing. Uh, before we get started, I would like to name that we are trying something a little different. We are try, we're going to do our best to produce a 30-minute show. Mm. Now, we record live, and I don't do any editing typically, so this may very well be an hour, uh, but the goal <laughs> is 30 minutes, so we'll see. You ready to jump right. in? I'm ready. Let's do it. Um, so morning meeting. I always say I'm gonna get like a morning meeting song. I and mean, we need to start doing audio clips to you introduce each section. I wanna that. look That'd kids like, yay! <laughs> Welcome to the carpet or some <laughs> shit. I want some corny ass <laughs> shit. Uh so our morning meeting question today. What is the hardest thing about being mm. a kid? Uh you want me to go first? Yeah, go ahead. For when I was a kid, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. Oh, my quick. No, you didn't. You spoke <laughs> as a grown man. Halim didn't ever speak as a child, y'all. <laughs> when I was a child, the hardest thing about being a kid was people's unwillingness to listen to me. Like, I was convinced I had something to say as a child. And so I... And all of my childhood friends can attest to this. I wanted to be taken seriously. Um, mm. But, you know, it doesn't matter how many suits you put on as a kid or how many briefcases you carry. <laughs> people don't take you seriously. Uh, so that was the hardest thing about being a child for me. I didn't even I didn't even realize that I was going to have something similar but like as soon as you said that um, it reminded me Halim you always would say when we were at the school we worked at that we have to listen to kids mm -hmm. um and that particular class that we spent the most time with i don't know if i ever told you this but at their graduation the acting uh principal at the time assistant by principal, acting you mean like an actor now let me quit stop <laughs> no acting wow. like no not that one the okay. other one i know okay. you're talking about and she said from dealing with this class of kids the one thing i have learned is that kids have something to say mm. and so i don't know if i ever told you that but i'm sure your um advocacy for listening to kids made our kids able to fight for their voice in our absence. Mm. And I was able to see the culmination of that because that class changed the, our network. Mm -hmm. Like there was, that was a very senior leader who had been in our network for a long time and a network where we don't traditionally listen to kids. Mm. And she said, one thing I learned in my 
you know, 10th year or eighth year at this place is this class refuses not to be heard. Mm. And so we, we did our thing. I just want you to know that. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, and so my, my thing was like, I, as a kid have always had this level, we're going to go to church for a little bit. I've always had this level of discernment. Mm. Um, I remember, being very young and just knowing how things would turn out or like seeing, Oh, this is going to go this way. Or this person, if I asked them this, they're going to say that, like I had a lot of emotional intelligence, but it was really hard because like a lot of times the adults around me would not see what I saw. Mm -hmm. And so I think, and then like when it ended up coming to fruition, I had to deal with almost a shame of like, oh, well, they had told me just go get somewhere and sit down. And I knew this whole time. Like, so is this thing that this discernment that I have, is it something I should use? Like I was getting this implicit message that nobody wants to hear that. And so like, that's still something I think I've seen a lot of kids that have that too. Like our kids will tell us stuff all the time and, and we'd be like, no, what you No, that didn't happen. And they're mm-hmm. like, it did. And we're yeah. like, and like, you know, we end up having to eat crow on that because it did. <laughs> it did and it does. And it will. Um, yeah. That's, yeah. That's the unfortunate story of children right now. But if you have children in your life who you love, especially if you work with children, give them space to voice their opinions and listen and respond. You'd be surprised what they share with you and the connections that you're able to make. That's the truth. Um, Cool. All right. Let's jump into our topic for today. Um, We are talking about the election Mm. in schools. Um, The election and schools. And I think like, so it's like the election juxtaposed against or its position as it relates to like the school space. Right. And, but before we can like really talk about the election, I think there's like these broader themes that we've picked up and I just want to talk about it a little bit. Like I have been spending a lot of time intentionally consuming what conservatives essentially like conservatives light right are consuming because remember hope we were talking a couple of weeks ago and you said you were talking to a conservative friend and they were saying shit that you were like that's like where are you getting this from and they were thinking Mm -hmm. the same about you so i have been going out of my way to sort of consume these these views that i wouldn't ordinarily come into interaction with and Mm -hmm. it's rather interesting and i think what's true across both sides all sides is that um there's a almost a refusal to be persuaded uh unwillingness to listen and i don't know i don't want to make things i don't want to put it too lightly but i think like broadly and I, I'm someone who used to pride myself on my beliefs and how much time I spent developing them. And so, yes, there I, I'm talking about myself. There was a point in time when I was just like, 
regardless of the conversation that I'm entering, I'm not willing to really listen or be persuaded. <laughs> I'm just only here to talk <laughs> and to show off how I have put together my thoughts and ideas. Um, you know, I think that's like, I did not even realize, like me and Halim talked about the format or the framing of this conversation before the show. Um, and I didn't even realize I just had a conversation like this either yesterday, two days ago. What's today? Tuesday. Tuesday. Uh, on Sunday, I was hanging out with a friend who is a former conservative and he kind of talked to me about how he was, um, impressed with my ability to listen to other people's stories um and other people's perspectives and I don't even think I saw myself that way I think uh I am used to a version much like you're talking about Halim where I have lived my experience I've done a lot of studying I've done a lot of living in what I've studied and I'm like this is pretty much how it is but like people are pointing out to me that I leave more room than I think I do. Like I am a person who likes to listen to other folks talk um, and listen to their perspectives, but like it kind of segues into my big concept of critical thinking. Um, Halim kind of pointed out the people's unwillingness to compromise or to, to hear my big push when we're having these conversations that we're having in the United States and across the world right now is like people's ability to think critically about something. And it means like you can't only use your experience. You can't only take in what you've lived and just be like, that's how the world is. You know, in relationship with folks, if you're really trying to form a relationship with someone, you have to be willing to hear about life as they've lived it. And then I think after you make a space to hear each other, then you can start to um, consider, like debate in a considerate way. Um, if I know Halim me and Halim have been friends for a long time. So there are things that I know that Halim is, let's say, for instance, working on in his practice as a leader. I'm not going to approach those things with crassness or with recklessness because he and I have a relationship where I know that this is something that's important to him. And so I'm kind of seeing that uh, carry out in some of these conversations when I'm really seeking relationship first and then a debate second, or like seeking to hear and listen first and then to talk second, I find myself being more considerate of people's experiences. I think one of the big things that's lacking is this idea that there is something that I don't know or that I'm <laughs> missing. Mm. Um, like I, I watch a lot of these, like I watch a lot of these videos on YouTube of people like having these arguments and it's like, for one, no one's actually saying anything. No one's like presenting any actual information. But then on the other hand too, no one is at, at all sides, both sides. I like to say all sides because I don't like the, the sort of dichotomous nature of our politics. I think there's there's more vectors than just right and left. But 
um, all sides sort of approach the conversation, if you want to call it that, with this idea of like, I'm here to tell you something because you don't know anything. And the other side, the other sides are saying the same thing. And no one at any point is like, I wonder what's here that that I might not know or realize or even realize I don't know. And like, how can I, how can I listen and be and engage and be involved in this conversation or exchange of ideas? It's, I feel like it's the culture right now on social media all over is just, you need to sit down and listen to me and I ain't got to listen to nobody else. I just had kind of a a thought that I want to put out on the table. I recognized in the part that like I just talked about when I'm having a conversation with somebody, one of my first questions is, am I in a place to pursue relationship with this person or not? Uh, Me and Halim were talking earlier about a former coworker that we used to work with. And me and this particular coworker, there would be times we were co-teaching together. There would be times where um, they thought that this was one the best way to do the class, or and there'd be times where I thought this was the other way, best way to do the class. And I would purposely set aside time because there were some deeply held beliefs in that coworker that I knew would ultimately be. Um, detrimental to our kids. And so I made sure not to engage in that conversation unless I was in a place to be able to like pursue a relational exchange with that coworker instead of a transactional exchange. So like when two people come together and I'm only here for myself, I'm only here to hear myself talk, I'm only here to correct you, chances are we're not going to get anything from that. Like I think there is this um, social emotional piece that we're missing in a lot of these conversations where we ask ourselves, what is the goal? Is the goal to argue? Is the goal to understand? Is the goal to have empathy? Because all three of those diff- conversations start, persist, and end very differently. And I'm just wondering if we actually have the skills like across the board to do that in these conversations? Are we just not using the skills or or is there actually a skill gap in how to approach somebody with an opposing viewpoint and still be considerate of that person? Mm -hmm. Another thing that comes to mind, I guess like we haven't entered in is how media primes people. A prime example is... Ruth Bader Ginsburg, when she was lying in repose at the Supreme Court, there's a video that CNN posted and Donald Trump is there. And so the there's a close up on Donald. Like you can tell that the camera is closer physically to Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And then there's protesters, obviously, in the back and you can tell from the quality of sound, like just looking at the video, the protesters are mic'd and turned up. Mm. And so when you see this sort of picture, just this video of Donald Trump, it, the, it would appear that you could hear these protesters booing him from where he is. But if you've ever been to the Supreme Court and you know where those folks were sort of courted off, by the grass, 
they were so far away and it was so few of them that he couldn't hear them booing. But CNN wanted to project this sort of Donald Trump went to visit Ruth Bader Ginsburg and was booed by this large crowd of protesters. And that just isn't true. And it continues to give him a leg to stand on when he calls the media fake news. Granted, you know, they're not falsely reporting facts like he accuses them <laughs> of, but they are willful, willingly mis misleading in some of their reporting, or I would even say like sensationalizing some of the information and it just fires up the different bases or the different things that motivate people. And it further drives us apart and it further clogs our ears to anything that's opposing to like, I might get flack for saying what I'm saying, which is like people might think I'm agreeing with Donald Trump and him calling the media the enemy of the state. I obviously don't agree with that, but I do <laughs> see the sort of bits and pieces where I see where he's coming from. And Donald Trump is a provocateur as well. So it's like less so much where he's coming from. But I see how the people who are consuming his messaging I see how it's so palatable to them because it, it it makes a lot of sense to them. And in the absence of more clear sort of contradicting argument or evidence, it's like, oh, yeah, this. See, here's another example of CNN being fake news. They lied about Donald Trump being booed at. Ruth Bader Ginsburg lying in repose. You know, I'm I'm always shocked at how aligned our thoughts and experiences are. Like me and Halim did not really discuss all the fine points of what we're gonna talk about, but I just had a conversation yesterday with somebody about how there has to be there has to be this like understanding and this connection to people. Like we all need it as humans. And so like one of the things that me and this friend talked about was how um, Donald Trump found a group of people in the United States who were tired, who were fed up, who were looked over. And regardless of his, the heart behind it, regardless of his intent, regardless of whether it was for his own personal gain, he found people in need, he met their need, and he mobilized them to become the president of the United States. Um, and although this may be a little controversial, whatever, whatever, hear, hear the heart of what I'm saying, there's a lesson in this. Think about... Uh, no one has ever stood on the most powerful stage in the United States and told white supremacists and poor white people, I care about you and like, I have a place for you in my regime. Like, if these people are looked over and have been denied their needs and XYZ this entire time, even if the devil come along and promise exactly. something that yeah. you need, you're going to take it. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's a lesson to learn to be used for the good is that like right now, the the setup that you just gave us, Halim, where everybody is 
sitting down for their own self-interest and talking to hear themselves. That to me says that there is a need right now for folks to be heard. And unfortunately, Facebook, Twitter, CNN, Fox News, they're the people who are meeting the need. And so like, I wonder what it would look like if we as people who are on the ground and people who actually care about um, care about people more than we care about money, if we made spaces for folks to be affirmed and taught and have these types of conversations we're talking about. Because like, if you get the most controversial, raw, emotional tweet off and the right person find it and you go viral, like there's at least something to be gained in it. I don't know any platform that is raising people up and paying them for reasonable, even keeled, Mm -hmm. well thought out, compassionate statements. Mm -hmm. So like, I wonder, you know, that to me says that there is something missing Mm -hmm. in society. So when we look at um, where people are running to, we got to draw that back to the need and say like, how can I intercept the meeting of their need that right now is only met by Donald Trump and Fox News? And you know, what can we do about that? Yeah. There is a, um, a quote that says nothing that is human is alien to me. And so I take it to mean like, you know, any experience that I share with another human being, whether I agree with their position or not, I can't take this viewpoint that like they are other or Hmm. they are foreign, this sort of esoteric non-being essentially. Like they are a human being and we share that in common. So there has to be this point of connection that's stronger than our point of departure. And Hmm. so that was, I just thought of, I just, that made that connection like in the last part of what you said. But I was also thinking about the failings of the democratic party to build a broad diverse coalition and to really stand for something like right now, Democrats don't stand for something. They sort of stand against things and the Republican party, while it's not a very diverse or broad coalition, it's robust in its core supporters, like its base um, and I think it's because they like have these really strong stances, stances, obviously, if it's not obvious anyway, I disagree with a lot of their platform, um, and really the idea of conservatism in general, but I get it. I get why this idea of conservatism is appealing, um, to folks who think they're losing something or have something to lose by other folks gaining something. The Republican party found a need and they have exploited it for hundreds of years and they're, and, and it works like, you know, that I heard when, uh, during the vice president 
vice presidential debate i was watching it on twitch so like somebody was streaming the debate and they're a political analyst on twitch and they were getting so upset that kamala would not stoop to mike pence's level or stoop to the trump level and just like burn him up on some stuff Mm -hmm. and there was such a strange interaction to me because like i don't really like spend a lot of time in those political spaces to know how do liberals feel how do conservatives feel like i kind of you know i'm not diving into that stuff but it was so interesting to see the guy who was commentating it was like he needed Mm -hmm. kamala to represent his anger Mm -hmm. right there in that moment yeah and she didn't no and they spent the next hour you know in the debrief talking about how i just wish she had shown up i just wish she had shown up this way this way and i and like at first i was a little offended because it's like oh you know is this another critique of the black woman but then i said let me go past that this person because he keeps saying this repeatedly he must need this he Mm -hmm. needed something from her Mm -hmm. and she didn't deliver and so like it's i've just kind of been in my head about that for a while Mm -hmm. how many needs is the democratic party not meeting and it's like the republican party ain't meeting them either but -hmm. they're clear like we don't go to a republican and hope that they're going to meet them but because of the lack of you know, strong stance in the Democratic Party. It's like we're hoping yeah. and we always get let down. Oh, well, yeah. And for the, we're about to shift gears here, but for the record, this is part one. Uh, what is, what we haven't talked about is how most of what we've talked about to this point is premised relatively, um, obviously, um, under the guise of white supremacy, right? White supremacy is the vehicle that keeps these things moving. This idea that, you know, they conservatives stand to lose something, uh, liberals stand to lose something. Um, the fragility of whiteness is why we can't engage in authentic conversation. And the fragility of whiteness and white supremacy is why um, media is pulling its strings the way it is to, dare I say, subvert reality at times. But um, yeah, you want to close us out in this segment, Holt? And then we... Um, Yeah, you know, you said something earlier about how the point of connection has to be stronger than the point of departure. And I think it's really important for us to recognize that right now, I would say the most popular thing in the United States is points of departure. Oh, yeah. And um, even more so, the false binary that we Mm -hmm. talked about last week. Not only... I'm not allowed to just have points of departure. Mm -hmm. They have to be extremist Mm -hmm. points of departure. Mm -hmm. I can't have a nuanced conversation Mm -hmm. about like Halim earlier, the first time he said the, (laughs) the Republican party's uh, values, they stand strong and I get it. I had a mini like heart attack on the inside because (laughs) you are not allowed to say that in this, uh, in this socio-political climate right now. Mm -hmm. And all like Halim is actually showcasing maturity, critical thought, 
the ability to look at multiple perspectives, empathy. But when I heard, and I get it, it was like, oh shit, is he endorsing the fucking Republicans? It's like, <laughs> he's going to go vote for how, Trump. Right? How did we, how did I get there? And it's because media has primed us mm. that there's only one of two ways. Yeah. And that is, a, that is one of the key tenets of white supremacy mm-hmm. is that there can be no nuance. Everything has to be sterile. Everything has to be black or white. It's this side or that side, red, blue, yep. Republican, Democrat. Literally. And the truth is it's none of those things. It's none. And it's all of those things yeah like no none of us is just straight down the center yeah. and so just stop like stop doing that <laughs> stop. it's not it's not a thing you're not and actually i'm gonna get personal you're not doing anything like i'm talking to you the listener by taking a staunch immovable stance on either side you're not doing anything except just keeping us intentionally split yeah and so like i don't know i ain't got i ain't got nothing else to say about that that's a word that's a word that i just felt like was on my heart mm-hmm. go in your prayer closet and talk to the lord about what it means in your life mm-hmm. but stop doing that yeah, stop. we're we're too complex you of people quit. to be acting this one-sided there's literally you said this earlier when we were on the phone hold there is a an infinite universe of infinite possibilities like Please don't put yourself in a box. Please don't. Um, okay, so we are at minute 28. We're going to shift gears rather quickly into the parent-teacher conference. And we have a couple of things to say about voting. Um, just for clarity, um, in next week's episode, we are going to continue this conversation and kind of apply the things that we just talked about in these current events mm-hmm. to how does that translate to talking about the election in our schools between staff, mm-hmm. family, faculty, mm-hmm. you know, all of that? Yeah. Voting. Um, I actually, believe it or not, I have a lot of things to say about voting. <laughs> okay. Surprise. Ahead, no, I'm, I'm not going to say it all, but I mean, okay. for one, voting it should be more convenient, right? You should be able to register on the same day. Lord it should be mercy. over the course of several days. It should be on a weekend. It should be a national holiday where no one has Why to go to isn't work. isn't it on a weekend? I've yeah. never, see, I've never even thought of that. I've never thought of that before because it's never been that way. Yeah. Why is it in the middle of the week? It's middle of the fucking week. You should be able to do, Wake up in the morning unregistered and then go somewhere, register and vote. Um, you, the extent to which you really should have to register, but whatever, it should be more convenient. And then there are also other barriers in place like gerrymandering, which we get to from the census, which we do fear mongering and then um, the electoral college and you know, what's the goal of a politician, which we know is reelection. So I don't necessarily all the time espouse a tremendous amount of support for voting and its ideals and blah, 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 blah. That being said, I will be voting in this upcoming national election. I typically vote in my local elections and forego the national, but 
I will be voting in all of them, uh, which is new because at first I wasn't going to vote at all because I have rationalized that voting is an irrational act, which it is, mm. but it doesn't exculpate me from my responsibility, I suppose. <laughs> oh, so instead of taking a staunch one-sided stance, yeah. you decided to do some more thinking and so, change your mind? Try to get it how I live it. Yeah. Oh, okay. So modeling the behavior that we're talking about. You know, okay. it's a powerful tool. Modeling is a powerful folks don't know. Tool. Tell them, Helene. We, we are we are encoded to mimic. Mm. That's our beings. You mm. look at a kid. I was about to say lives, it's a milestone in child development. Literally. We are Invitation. designed to mimic. And so if you think you're doing anything, but you're not modeling. You ain't doing nothing. Except leaving people to guess at what you want. Um, So what I want to tag on to this parent-teacher conference is specifically the part of talk to your kids about what it means to vote. Um, I've just been getting some... I got an email earlier today from a teacher at one of the schools that I work with that says there is a kid in her classroom who keeps like coming to school and telling her that he's afraid of the police because they kill people. Mm. And like, I could imagine that it's a young black boy who is living, you know, can't be seven, eight years old, who is living in this tumultuous climate that we're all living in. And they're picking up glimpses of the media, hearing comments here and there about how this is dangerous and that is dangerous, but no one has had the conversation Mm -hmm. with that child. And so like, I see something similar happening in voting. And I remember my great grandma and my great aunt dragging me with them to vote when I was little, but they never told me why or why it was important or even that it's not a um, one-to-one correlation. It's mm-hmm. not like one vote is one vote. Mm-hmm. You know? And so like, there's a lot of stuff that we need to talk to our kids about to get them started understanding what it looks like to be civically engaged. It's yeah. never too early. Never too early. Um, well, I think we've done it. Um, <laughs> that's our show. This was part one. I'm excited to sort of move us into practice and in what this looks like in action. Um, when we record uh, next week, we might even record later this week, be honest with you. But... Right, because I want to finish this conversation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so thank you for listening. Uh, follow us at the number two teachers underscore a mic on Instagram, SoundCloud, and Twitter. And please continue to write in with your parent teacher conference topics, just things that you're struggling with at home, uh, between home and school. If you've seen changes in your kid, that email is the number two teachers and a mic podcast at gmail.com. Uh, Thank you for listening, and we will see you guys next time. Peace out. Holla.